And good morning and welcome to the podcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. Thanks for joining us today. I want to talk to you a little bit about the gospel. Every week we talk about the gospel, don't we? This week, though, is a week that something has really been stirring in my heart that is catalytic for this season. And we're going to talk about restoration and we're going to talk about what you have to do with it. Uh, you matter in this day. You're not just here by chance or by accident. You actually matter. You know, the Lord knows you're alive. He knows your name. He knows your identity. He knows you exist, and He actually believes in you more than you believe in Him. And there's a faith that God has that we borrow. Any faith we have, we, we don't get on our own. We borrow it from the one who is the source of all faith. And the one who is the source of all faith has faith in you. Think about that. The idea of us having faith in God is usually the focus of our attention, but God actually has faith in you. And faith can be equated to trust, which means that God trusts you. He's entrusted you with, with life. He's entrusted you with freedom. He's entrusted you with the gift of His grace. He's entrusted you with what Jesus did on the cross, that is salvation. He's entrusted you with uh, everything necessary for you to walk in the fullness of the destiny that He has for you. And there is a fullness of destiny that He has for you. It doesn't mean that you won't face struggles or challenges in this life, but it does mean that those struggles and challenges are not to be the last word on God's destiny over you. Today, I want to talk to you about you being a part of the plan of restoration that God has for the world. Many fail to accomplish the call of God in their life because of fear. So how do we respond to the word of the Lord if it's not to fall down in fear? God wants to empower you in freedom, not debilitate you with fear. Get your Bibles out. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Are we about to find ourselves in the final battle? Check out Restoring Revelation. It's a 10-part audio series that Bill recorded during the pandemic of 2020. In times of uncertainty, people want answers, and the book of Revelation becomes popular once again. But Revelation is a book of hope and joy, unveiling the eternal victory of Christ in you, the hope of glory. This series will enlighten, educate, entertain, and empower you to live and accomplish your assignment on this earth. So download all 10 hours of Restoring Revelation at BillVanderbush.com. To start today, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 24. We're going to go on down into chapter 17. Today I'm reading out of the ESV translation. Listen carefully. Starting in verse 24, Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in return or exchange for his soul. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man 
coming in his kingdom. Let's just stop there for just a moment. What Jesus has just spoken there has been a mystery to people for generations. And much of it has to do with that last line. That we speak of this idea of the second coming of Christ. Or people talk about the rapture of the church. Either way, it's the return of Christ or the rejoining of Christ in physical body, the resurrected Christ, back to humanity here on this earth. Uh, we understand when, when a person dies, uh, the idea is that they go to be with Jesus, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you are an eternal spiritual being having a, a human physical experience, yet within the context of eternity, you're still said to be in a body, in a glorified state. You saw Jesus in a body in Revelation, the book of Revelation, he had a body, but it was incorruptible, immortal, it had some amazing upgrades, it was limitless, and yet he still was a man in a body. But the spirit, the eternal, uh, indestructible, immortal spirit actually guides and overcame the whole thing. It wasn't limited by the decaying flesh that you and I uh, know so well here on this earth. So the idea is that Jesus will return and cross the boundaries of, of death from the unseen realm of heaven and the eternal, incorruptible spiritual plane into this realm of physical earth. And then those who, this side of death, will see him. There, there will be a generation that actually sees him, that actually experiences his presence and never actually gets to taste death, never gets to actually go through that doorway. Now, as far as I know, every generation since the cross of Christians has believed that they were the ones that will be alive during that time. I mean, there are, and no exaggeration here, thousands of books out there on Amazon written about the return of Christ. And all of them speak in such a way that they genuinely believe that they will be the ones who will be alive in this physical world when Jesus Christ physically returns here to the earth. And, and I'm not denying that that's a possibility according to Scripture. But there is a part of the Scripture, I believe, that we have overlooked for far too long. And I want to show it to you today. And I, I believe that will empower you to walk in power in this life, recognizing the assignment that you carry. And it's not just you biding your time waiting for Jesus to come back. It's you recognizing your union with Christ right now and what that actually means for you in this earth. See, if you're waiting for Jesus to show up and love this world, if you're waiting for Jesus to show up and heal this world, if you're waiting for Jesus to show up and release compassion into this world, then you're missing really the assignment for why you're alive. I mean, God just didn't set things in motion and then, you know, eventually one generation, it's like rolling the dice and you get to be the, the fortunate generation that gets to see the return of Christ and, and yay, you're alive and you really didn't have to do anything. You, there's nothing for you really here to accomplish. He's going to show up and do all the work anyway. Well, we talk about the finished work of, of the cross. The finished work is what Jesus did to equip you and I to actually be representations of Christ in the earth today. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the mystery of the gospel. So when Jesus finished the work, 
he begins something in you that is still, in a sense, in formation. Till Christ be formed in you, it's really the big deal. And God is conforming inside of you. Something in you is being changed, transformed, and as you listen to the word of the Lord, and as you study the scriptures, and as you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, there is something inside of you that is changed and transformed to actually, well, fulfill what Jesus said. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. And what is light? Light is an agent that makes the invisible visible. Uh, when the lights get turned on in a room, it's not that everything suddenly got created. You just suddenly become aware of what always was. And that's the thing about being the light of the world. It's like in healing. You know, we just had a healing event uh, in, in Austin, Texas. It was incredible. Uh, tons of people received healing. And, and, uh, and watching that happen was not difficult. There's nothing spooky about it. It just... It just seemed to manifest all over the room, just happened all over the room. And and the crazy part it is, is that it was almost like turning a light on in a dark room. And think of it like this. On the cross, Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, paid for your healing. We say he paid for your healing. But the reality is, from heaven's perspective, healing has always been the greater reality. From earth's perspective, brokenness, pain, loss, all that stuff, that seems to be what we experience, the processing of brokenness to healing to health to wholeness it, we, we understand that it happens in it within a time frame but what happens when jesus shows up the light of the world shows up darkness flees and darkness obscures things darkness makes things um uh to where you can't perceive them and so when the light of the world shows up what happens the healing that is the ultimate reality for you you're not meant to walk in pain or loss or death, or even frustration, depression, or darkness at all. But when he shows up, the greater reality becomes what we see. And in in the cases of healing, it's from heaven's perspective, your healing was paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago. And, and that's what Jesus did. By his stripes, we were healed. Past tense already happened. From earth's perspective, when we walk in pain, when we walk in disease, there's still an element where we're in the dark to what Christ has done. And so simply turning the light on uh, makes things visible. And the Bible says the entrance of thy word gives light, that he sent his word and healed us and delivered us from destruction. So speaking the word of God is like turning the light on in a dark room and suddenly things become visible that were invisible before. Your healing becomes the greater reality where before all you could perceive was brokenness or darkness. And then you can walk in the light as he is in the light. And in that place you have, the Bible says, fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. God's Son cleanses us from all sin. Sin is any perception of distance or separation from God, from Christ who is light. So when we walk in Christ, we walk in divine wholeness. Now, Paul said, I pray that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So to the degree that your mind is renewed, your will is in alignment with the heart and the values of heaven, and your emotions are connected 
to the very heartbeat of Christ. In other words, you're feeling what he's feeling. You're experiencing what he's experiencing. That all comes from beholding him, from gazing upon him, from seeing him, from setting him before you as the only thing you see. To the degree that your soul prospers, that you would be in health. So many times we find ourselves struggling with sickness, disease, and all kinds of things in our life. And I, I think there's a lot of things that are connected to that that are a deficiency of the prosperity of soul because our mind is not fixed on Jesus much of the time. Our will, our decisions that we make are often not made with the things of the kingdom of God in mind. And as a result, our emotions are all over the place. And so, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to behold him, is how we are transformed from glory to glory. That doesn't go from sickness to sickness, from disease to disease. It goes from brokenness to wholeness, from sickness to health. And so, as Christ is formed in you, as the light of the world shines upon you, you begin to recognize your union with him empowers you to become that agent that makes the invisible visible in the lives of people around you. That is when you step into a room, you begin to open your mouth and you begin to, to draw attention to the present reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as that glory uh, is, is experienced by the people around you, the healing of the body becomes just a natural result. So we've just come off a section of scriptures here in Matthew chapter 16 that speak very challenging to us about taking up your cross daily and following Christ. Now, I've preached a lot on the taking up your cross portion, so go back and listen to old podcasts and you can catch entire messages on that. What I want to focus on, though, is the last verse, which is a setup for chapter 17. And the last verse goes like this. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so here's the problem with that, is if you think that this is the second coming of Christ, then you got to wonder, wait a minute, what just happened there? Because he's talking to people standing right there. And he said, there's people standing here who will not die or taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So the second coming has to happen in their lifetime. Except, what if he wasn't talking about the second coming? The next story that is told in Matthew chapter 17 is the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, six days after this, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, 
they saw no one but Jesus only. Okay, so let's back up here for just a second. A couple of things I want to point out about this incredible story, which is repeated in other Gospels, but I want to focus on Matthew's account here. The, uh, the first thing that you see is the transfiguration of Jesus, and that is that his glory is now visible to these guys. It's not that he became glorious when he got to the top of the mountain. It's just they, for the first time, saw something that had always been there that they had never seen before. What the Bible says here is that the face of Jesus shone like the sun. Even his clothes became white as light. Then Moses and Elijah appear, and Peter, God bless Peter, when he should have just been sitting there and watching, he opens his mouth and decides to release a plan to start a building project, which isn't that kind of what religion does. Something really good happens, and we have to create a memorial to it which is often what buildings, denominations, and human organizations become. They become beautiful memorials, beautiful as they are, but beautiful memorials to a moment in time where people were deeply impacted by the presence of God. And there's nothing wrong with those things, as long as we regard them for what they are, instead of worshiping the memorial or the man, that we recognize what the memorial is meant to commemorate is a moment in time where God did something most remarkable in a way that, that altered the course, perhaps, of human history, either for a person or for all of humanity. But in this case, Peter interrupts the entire thing to say, hey, can we do a building project? And while Peter was still speaking, says here, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, or hear him, one translation says. Now stop and think about that. So if you're Peter and you decide to interrupt this entire moment of glory by interjecting a human plan, and then God the Father, right, shows up to say, hey, focus on Jesus and listen to him. This is a very, actually, a, a very nice way of God saying to Peter, your voice is not necessary right now. Jesus was talking, listen to him, all right? <laughs> I mean, if God ever told humanity or man to shut up, this was the moment. And when God speaks, when the voice of the Father speaks from within that cloud, the Bible says the disciples heard, fell on their faces, and were terrified. And what does Jesus do? He comes and touches them, says, rise, have no fear. Now, that means that their response of terror was an inappropriate, incorrect response. But it was a response that religious tradition had taught them. They were supposed to be terrified at the voice of God. But remember what Jesus said. He said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to put the Father on display. Hebrews 1.3 says he's the exact representation of the Father's nature. And when the voice of the Father, God as Father, came out, humanity fell down in fear. Religion still wants humanity to fall down in fear 
at the voice of the Father. But then religion, I'm talking about modern religion today, modern religion still preaches when you hear the voice of the Father, you should fall down in fear. But then modern religion says that its voice is the voice of the Father. The words that it speaks are the words of the Father. And your response should be just like Peter, James, and John did on the mountain that day. But Jesus now is going to represent the nature and the character of the Father. These guys hear the voice of the Father, and their response immediately is terror. Jesus, who is not operating in a different spirit, not playing good cop, bad cop here, Jesus is trying to recalibrate them to an understanding of the nature and the character of who the Father is. And Jesus says, rise and have no fear at the voice of the Father. Now stop and think about that with me for a moment. If you are of the mindset of being terrified at God, then you're missing the point of the compassion of the Father's nature revealed in Christ. These three men were trained by law. And when the voice of the Father showed up, they hit the deck. Let me ask you, those of you who are fathers, if every time you walked into the room and said something, your kids jumped off the couch, got out of their chairs, fell down, trembling, literally shaking with fright at your presence and at your voice, how would that make you feel as a father? I imagine there are some of you out there who go, wow, that would actually be kind of amazing. You know, that kind of power. <laughs> no, no, listen, all humor aside, what would that tell you as a father? It would tell you these people, these kids, do not understand your heart. It would tell you that these children perhaps have been abused in the past. It would tell you that they have not learned to respond to you appropriately. When you walk into the room and you speak to your kids, what are you asking for? You're asking for their attention, for them to turn their focus away from whatever they're focused on and to focus on your words and what you are saying to them. Jesus is the word made flesh and dwelt among us. And when the father did speak in this moment, what did he tell Peter? He told him, listen to Jesus. This is my son. Hear him. The father told us to turn our attention to Jesus. And when Jesus looks at the disciples trembling on the ground, he doesn't say that's a good job. That's exactly what you need to do when the father speaks. No, he brings correction to their response. And he actually repositions their posture. Rise and have no fear. In other words, the conditioned response that religion has instilled within you to the presence of God is actually not the right response if you and I are going to be in relationship. The right response is to turn 
all of your attention and your affection in on his face and on his voice to listen to his words. Now, Jesus, in verse 9, says, as he's coming down the mountain, says to them, commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The disciples said, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Now listen to what Jesus says here. He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus said that John the Baptist was Elijah to come, who, if they could believe it, they could actually receive that. So John was the promised representation of the Elijah that was to come, who was setting what up? Setting Jesus up to be the one who restores all things. This phrase of rising and shifting your focus, it happens in John 4.35. Jesus says, Do not say it is still four months until the harvest comes. Look, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. They're already white for harvest. If you look in Matthew chapter 17, verse 8, it says, When they lifted their eyes, they saw Jesus only. The encouragement here is not that we look to men or look to people as our solution, but we always fix our eyes on Christ. The disciples on the way down the mountain ask the question, why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? Jesus says Elijah is coming and will restore all things. We understand that Jesus is the one who restores, but we're followers and disciples of Jesus. So what does that mean? For us. Well, if we're going to follow the pattern of Christ, we need to look and understand what he did and what he told us. And what he did is he actually left the realm of the unseen, the realm of heaven, and the realm of all the worship and the praise of the angels, and he came down into the tribulation of humanity's story. He came down and was wounded, bruised, cursed, beaten, hung on a cross, murdered, pierced, by nails, and then died so that you and I could be reconciled in union with God again. So there'd be no distance or separation between us again. Well, what do you and I do when we face trials? We want to get out of all the tribulation. We want to get out of here, and we want to escape it and go to heaven and have a party in the sky while the entire earth burns and goes to hell. And, you know, listen, that's actually not the heart of Jesus. Jesus says to the disciples here, he says, he's not coming back again until Elijah rises up to restore all things. And we think that's Jesus coming in his kingdom? I don't think so. I think that's us. Why do I say that? Because Jesus had spoken earlier about this, and then the disciples knew he was talking about John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist represent? John the Baptist was simply a man pointing people to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is ultimately the restorer, the one who restores all things. What do we do? We point people to Jesus. And walking in the spirit and the power of Elijah is just you and I pointing people to Jesus. Let me just make this really plain. We don't have to do any miracles. We just point people to the one who does. 
We don't have to heal the sick. We just point people to the one who does. We can't save anybody. We just point people to the one who does. So let me give you a vision of what is to come. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures and elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and which are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. But the focus is not the creatures. The focus is not the things going on around the throne. The focus is Christ himself. The Lamb takes away the sin of the world. I want you to think about this as you and I are released into this earth to release the glory of God from within us, to point people to Jesus. That's what it means. And in doing that, we find ourselves being the agents of change that bring restoration by bringing people to Christ. Listen, you can write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. You can also listen again on VanderbushMinistries.com. And, and I've come to a quick end to this broadcast today. I just, just looked at the time and went, oh my goodness, I'm down to my last few seconds. Thank you so much for your prayers and your support for making it possible for us to continue to do what we do. We have just a few rooms left for the Kingmakers Conference in Scotland in April. Join Tracy and I along with Jim and Mary Baker and uh, join us in Scotland. We'll be at a castle. It'll be amazing. Go to BillVanderbush.com to register for that event. Until next time, may the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.